Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and I'm giving you today part two on the subject of why am I pro-life? On May 21st, 1972, there was a statue that was created by Michelangelo. In this statue of Mary holding the crucified Jesus in her lap was attacked. A guy by the name of Lazio Tooth, who was an Hungarian-born geologist, on the day of Pentecost that year, went and repeatedly battered the statue with a hammer. And as he was doing this, he was shouting, I am Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Well, he was judged insane and was never charged with a criminal offense. He did quite a bit of damage to this beautiful statue that Michelangelo put together back in the 1400s. But as he went and attacked this statue, they spent months and months putting it back together again. Now, why did they put such an effort into this work of art? Because they considered it something that was very sacred. When we think about life, life is sacred. Now, I'm so glad that they restored that statue. And I don't know how much it cost. I know it took eight months to restore it. I'm sure it was a large amount of money to restore that back to its original glory. And I have no problem with that. My point is this. If we are willing to invest heavily in taking a statue that is considered something that is sacred, how much more should we be concerned about protecting life? There's four reasons that I'm pro-life, and I'm going to give you these four reasons. I could give you more, but I'm basing these four reasons on Psalm 139. Four reasons why I'm pro-life. Number one is every unborn child has God's wonder. Look how the psalmist puts this. He says, you created my innermost being. David is talking about how God created him. And it says that God knit him together in his mother's womb. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. He says, your works are wonderful. He says, I know that full well. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You see, David is driving home the point that God has these wonders, wonderful things that God created in him. And he's thinking about how God put them all together. He says, these works are wonderful. And he knows how wonderfully he is made. Listen, so many times we miss the opportunity to be a blessing to others because we don't enjoy the wonder of how God made us. Now, I'm not talking about worshiping ourselves. We got enough of that nonsense going on. When I experience how wonderful God is to me, I don't worship myself. I worship him because he created me. He knit me together. I think about how much detail goes into our bodies. I mean, how God created us to breathe, to inhale, to exhale, how God gave us the desires that we need. Uh, When we need to have nutrition, he gives us the desire to have food. He creates that hunger. You know, he gives us all of these desires in our lives because we are knit together and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. David knew that and he knew that full well. Now, this is such an important point. One of the dangers of our society is that we have told our children that they came from an animal. Now, I want you to know, uh, your children and my children didn't come from an animal. They came from a human being, and God created them. Listen, if you tell your kids they came from an animal, it's no wonder they're going to act like animals, right? 
No, but if you tell them you were created in the image of God and you have the image of God upon you and God created you through the union of your mom and dad and you have a wonderful existence and God put you together and he wove you together and God created you just the way you are, it's so neat how God created us. None of us are exactly alike. All of us have his image. None of us have the same fingerprints. None of us have the same voice tone. None of us have the same skin tone. God created us wonderful. It's amazing how God created us. In Genesis 1.27, it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And it says he made them male and female. So every child has God's wonder. Abortion silences praise that are due to God. Maybe, as you think about it, this is a spiritual battle. The enemy hates it when we praise God. He is a glory stealer. He will do anything he can to snuff out praises to God, even killing babies. Here's another thing about abortion. Abortion destroys a person who is bearing the image of God. This person, this little baby that's in the womb of a mom, has got the image of God placed upon him. And when that child is destroyed, it is actually destroying the image of God. There's another thing that I want to drive home is that abortion denies the chance to bring good out of heartbreak. You know why most abortions take place? Most abortions take place because this is not a good time. I don't have the resources. I'm too young. I don't have what it takes to be a mom. And so we're thinking, well, it's better not to bring this child into the world. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, I have learned and I've grown the most, not in good times, but in times of pressure. The Bible is very clear that all things work together for good to those who are called of God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In the tragedy of life, God wants to step in and provide. The enemy wants us to think that tragedy ends everything, and we should avoid any kind of hardship. You know, for 22 years, 22 years, my wife and I have been caring for a special needs now adult. And this special needs adult has what is called infantile autism. That means, although he's big, uh, my son that has autism is, I mean, he's a big guy, he's six foot one about 330 pounds, okay? Uh, He's a huge man, but he has the mind of an infant. Uh, Now, thankfully, he's potty trained, but he doesn't communicate. He can't speak to us. Uh, We've taught him a few things with sign language, and so we kind of figure out what he wants. Sometimes he has violent episodes. Uh, Sometimes he breaks things. Sometimes he loses control. But you know what? God has taught me so much. As a matter of fact, one of these days, I'd like to write a book. I hope I can do this before I die. And I'm going to title the book, What I Have Learned About God Through My Son, Seth. Yeah, I've learned so much about God and his ability to provide. Now, listen, I absolutely hate autism. I don't wish it upon anybody. I hate that my son has autism. But you know what? God has provided every step of the way. God has made me and him and my whole family, our church, better because of Seth. Now, abortion denies God the chance to bring good out of heartbreak. 
Somebody says, I think that we could have possibly aborted a person who God intended to have the cure for cancer or the cure for autism or the cure for Alzheimer's. We don't know. And and we can kind of surmise that maybe that's true. Maybe we have. But I know that I have learned so much in my life, not so much through the mountaintop experiences, but in the times of the valley. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our times of pleasure, but he shouts to us in our times of pain. What are you going through right now? Maybe you're saying, listen, I'm looking at my life and I just found out I'm expecting this baby and I don't know what to do. I don't have the money for it. I'm not married. And I want you to know there is a wonderful option that is available and it's called adoption. Did you know that right now and throughout the last 30 years, this has not changed. For the last 30 years, there are between one and two million Americans who are waiting to adopt an infant. Did you know that it takes on average eight months? If you decide today that you'd like to adopt an an infant, it's going to take you about eight months and at least $8,000 to do it. And there are between one and two million couples right now that are ready to adopt and want to adopt. Why don't you consider the adoption option? You see, there are options. God opens up opportunities for us. So every unborn child has God's wonder. That's the first reason why I'm pro-life. Here's the second reason. Every unborn child also has God's purpose. Now we're looking at Psalm 139. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. David is speaking and he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. And then his next phrase is underlined in my notes. David said, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David is driving home the point that even before he was born, God had a purpose for him. God ordained those days for him. Now, I had thought about this point, and I thought about going throughout the Bible and listing every character in the Bible who knew before they were born that they had a purpose. Paul had a purpose before he was born. Moses had a purpose before he was born. Joseph had a purpose before he was born. Jesus had a purpose before he was born. Jeremiah is probably one of my favorite and probably the most popular verse that we would use. Jeremiah said, before I formed you in the womb, God speaking to Jeremiah, God says, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Maybe you're listening to today says, well, I don't think God has a purpose for my life. Oh, yes, he does. He has a plan for your life. Now, spend some time pursuing God's plan for your life. He's not that he's hiding it from you. It's oftentimes that we're not really interested in it. As a matter of fact, young adults are struggling to find their purpose. Maybe this is contributing to the rise of abortions. But a new survey was done, and they surveyed those who are 18 to 24-year-olds. And they discovered that these 18 to 24-year-olds, when they were asked what does it mean to be a real adult? In other words, how do I know that I have fully grown up? And they all, 86% of them, I should say, answered that being an adult, you know that you're really an adult 
when you start to fulfill the purpose you have in your life. You have this sense of purpose in your life, and you're starting to fulfill that purpose in your life. That's when you can say, I'm a real adult. 86% of young people agreed that's when they became adults. Now, here's the sad part. Only 43% say they have a clear picture of what their purpose in life is. The professor who put this study together and did this research and did the survey said, this study isn't good news. Coasting is not existing, not thriving. The majority of young adults who say they don't have a clear picture of the purpose in their life also say they are existing, but they're not thriving. Well, those with purpose more often say they are thriving. Maybe today, the reason that you're struggling in your life is because you haven't found the purpose that God has for you. I want you to know God's purpose in your life is that you will glorify him. The wisest guy that ever lived, his name was Solomon, and I say the wisest guy outside of Jesus Christ. Solomon spends an entire book. It's called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And in his book, he sets out on his pursuit to find out what the purpose of life is. And he tries a whole lot of things. And he gets defeated, and he gets discouraged. And he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And no matter what he tried, it seemed like it left him empty. But then he discovered at the end of the book, he discovered that the chief end of man is to glorify God, to obey his commandments, and to enjoy his presence forever. Paul kind of echoed this theme in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, this is an amazing statement. God chose you. God chose me even before I was a twinkle in my mom's eye even before my mom and dad were born, even before Adam was born. God chose me, and he chose you. And he chose us so that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then Paul says, in his love, he predestined us, and he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, Paul is giving us a mouthful here, and he's telling us that our purpose in life is to be adopted into the family of God. This purpose was set out before the foundation of the world. This purpose is because of God's glorious grace, and he's blessed us. Now, I think about that word, that he has blessed us, and he's called us to be holy. You know, being holy kind of has two aspects to it. There's the position of being set apart as God's child. This is conferred upon us at the moment of salvation. Maybe you're listening to me today and and you never have been born again. You know, I gave this message Sunday in my church. I got home late Sunday evening and I got a text message from one of my members and his daughter was in the church service. And our daughter-in-law rather was in the church service. And God used a message to begin to convict her. And now we're sharing the gospel with her, and she is very close to receiving the free gift of salvation. Now, this young lady was not raised in a church, so she had no idea about her purpose in life, no idea about salvation. 
but she heard the gospel, and the Lord is now using that. So being holy means that we are beginning a process of justification because we've been adopted into the family of God. That's the first step. But it's also a process, and that's called sanctification. That makes us in a position where we are progressing in our goal to be more like Christ, and this is being conformed to the image of His Son. Now, let me set the stage for this. God created us in His image. When we were born the first time, we weren't born again, we were born lost, but we still had the image of God placed upon us. At the moment of salvation, we are beginning this process of being even more conformed to the image of God. We're becoming more like God. Now, don't confuse what I'm saying. I'm not going to become God. You know, the Mormon church teaches that you can become God. They even are so audacious to say that Jesus wasn't God, but he became God when he was born on the earth. That is heresy. I'm never going to become God, but I will become conformed to his image. I will become more like him. You know, from a human level, maybe we get this, right? Recently, I had a picture of all my siblings. I've got two brothers and I've got four sisters. And as I looked at that picture, I've got a brother who is 11 months younger than me. I've got a brother who is about two and a half years younger than me. And we all looked alike. <laughs> my kids saw that picture and it says, man, uh, you guys all look alike. The older you get, the more you look alike. Now we all have the same haircut. Now, I don't see my brothers that often. As a matter of fact, I have that one brother that's 11 months younger than me. It's been three years since I've seen him. Got to see him at Christmas, so it was great to see him. But ironically, even though we haven't seen each other, we are looking more and more like each other. I noticed the same thing happened to my uncles. They got looking more and more like each other the older they got. The same ought to be true for us believers. We ought to be looking more and more like Christ the older we get. This uh, metamorphosis unfolds as we seek to follow the teaching and the example of Christ. We are drawn into this relationship with him. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are uh, receiving the manifestations through the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is awesome, because the more we are conformed to His image, the more we can defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, God has got a grand purpose for us. He's got a grand purpose for the world to come, and He wants us to be part of it. Well, we've learned two things today as to why I am pro-life. Well, we've learned, first of all, that we should be pro-life because every unborn child has God's wonder, created in the image of God. Every unborn child has God's purpose. God has already set out a purpose for their life before they were born. And then number three, every unborn child has God's thoughts. David puts it this way, Psalm 139, verses 18 to 24. Oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. Oh, how vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me, 
and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Now, this is a wonderful passage where David is talking about the thoughts that God had of him. And he says, you know, God is always thinking about me. There's a vast sum of thoughts. You ever run into somebody who says, isn't it neat that I ran into you because I was just thinking about you? I love when people say that. And, uh, you know, I'm one of these kind of sarcastic guys. And I say, oh, yeah, well, what are you thinking about me? And uh, thinking that maybe they're thinking bad something about me. But generally, when we say that, I was just thinking about you, it's something good. David said that the thoughts that God has of us, it outnumbers the grains of the sand. He said, when I'm awake, I'm still with you. David couldn't get away from the thoughts that God had of him. You see, when we think about the thoughts that God has for us, they are uncountable. They are immeasurable the former host of the 700 Club, Sheila Walsh. She's a singer and author, and she was not too long ago interviewed by Leadership Journal. And she says, in 1992, my life hit the wall. One morning, I was sitting on national television with my nice suit and my inflatable hairdo. And that night, I was locked in a psych ward hospital. But she says, that was the kindest thing God could have done to me. The very first day in that hospital, the psychiatrist asked her, who are you? And so she responded, well, I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. Well, that's not what I meant, he said. And so she responded, well, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. That's not what I meant. Who are you? She says, well, I don't have a clue. And then he replied, that's right. And that's why you're here. And the greatest thing that she discovered there is sometimes God gives us the most precious gift and it comes in a packet. And when he takes that out of your hand, your hand bleeds because you've been hanging on it too tightly. She says, I measured myself by what other people thought of me. That was slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, she says, some of the staff said, don't go into the hospital. You're never going to regain any kind of platform. If people know you are in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. I said, you know what? It's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I had lost everything, my house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life. I discovered at the lowest point of my life that everything that was true about me, God knew. After I'd been there about three weeks, she says, I remember asking the doctor if I could go to a church services. And so she went to church and two nurses went with her and they sat in the back of a small little church in Washington, D.C., And she says, there, God spoke to me as he never spoke to me before. She sang the hymns, and she had sung hymns that she had never sung before. She says, I don't remember everything that happened in that service, but I remember singing an old hymn that she felt described her perfectly. And maybe it describes us perfectly as well. The hymn phrase goes, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross, I cling. 
I want you to know God has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus knew the worst about Sheila Walsh, and yet he loved her. What a relief to know the worst about yourself and at the same moment to be embraced by God. It's so liberating to be able to reach the end of yourself because that's where we find Christ. Oh, I want to pray for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I can help you, please shoot me a text at 252-267-2365, 252-267-2365. I'd love to meet you in person. Uh, why don't you come, as a few of you I've met who listen to me on the broadcast have been coming to Hickory Ridge Community Church. We have services every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 1045. I'd love to see you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm praying for you, and I want you to know, if nobody today has told you that you are loved, I want you to know that I love you and God loves you, and we are here to help you any way that we can. My number one more time is 252-267-2365. I promise you I'll get back to you just as quickly as I can. Thank you again for listening to the broadcast today. May God bless you, and may God fill you with His Spirit. Thank you again. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.